today on the Tearsheet Podcast. It really depends. And, and we service you know, small hedge funds and, and, and very large funds as well. So it really depends on that individual organization, the talent that they have in-house. Are they, again, are they hiring people with this expertise? Are they trying to cultivate it internally? Sometimes at larger institutions, they're trying to cultivate it internally or the person in charge isn't necessarily the expert in crypto. So there's a lot of education internally as well as education that we provide to our customers. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. While retail interest in digital assets peaked in 2018, crashed, and is rebounding now, institutional interest has been steadily growing. Janine Hightower-Salito is helping that happen. Previously, the COO at the ISE, she's a managing director at Gemini. She joins us on the podcast to discuss what it means to be a licensed digital asset exchange and the value it provides for institutional investors. We dive into her experience running exchanges and how Gemini is both similar and different than traditional setups. Janine shares her views on what it will take for digital asset exchanges to become more influential, ultimately expanding crypto ownership. We also talk about Gemini's custody business. Janine Hightower-Salito is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Janine Hightower-Salito, and I'm the Managing Director of Operations at Gemini Trust. And before we talk about Gemini Trust, um, I think you have a very interesting background, both for your current role and, and, and for our listeners. Can you talk a little bit about your, your, um, your career experience? Yeah, sure. I, at, at Gemini, I look after the custody of the exchange businesses on behalf of mainly our institutional investors, but also our, our retail investors as well. For my background, I've spent many years working in the financial markets. Most recently, I was at NASDAQ working for their subsidiary, the International Securities Exchange, which was an operator of three options markets. I had spent 14 years there, ultimately serving as the role of chief operating officer when NASDAQ acquired us from Deutsche Börse in 2016. And, and do you see, um, I guess, digital asset exchanges as being sort of the next generation of, of exchanges that you have experience with? Digital asset exchanges are definitely a new asset class and they're definitely a new investor path for many of inst many institutions that we, we deal with. Uh, it's been interesting being at Gemini because many of the same firms I've dealt with in my, my past experience on the security side are actually participants on the Gemini market doing many of the same functions, providing liquidity, trading, investing. And so while it's a different asset class, there's a lot of parallels to, to the securities market. Um, what is a crypto native exchange? and like help our audience understand why it's important or, or, the, or the difference in, I guess, sort of being native. A crypto native company or crypto native exchange is one where it's been built from the ground up to serve the crypto community. And it's really different when you think about the technology involved in a crypto asset, not necessarily even the trading of it, but the actual asset itself and understanding the nuances of building on that tech, storing those assets, securing those assets, and there isn't really a lot of experience in the world today. Crypto is only 10 years old. So being able to find talent, being able to share talent and resources within a company to build for crypto is really important. And you don't really find that in other companies that have acquired crypto entities or are trying to build it from the ground up where their core strengths are not crypto. It's really important to understand crypto as a technology and build from that from the ground up. So, so can you help us understand? Let's let's I guess go deeper into to Gemini now. Like, who, who's trading on this exchange? 
Gemini serves a wide variety of customers. We have a really strong retail business where retail customers come direct to the platform. We have a really user-friendly retail app as well as a retail website. And so that's definitely one segment that we service. Retail customers like us because of the top-notch security that we offer and the trust that we instill in the marketplace from both a regulatory side as well as the security side. But we have a lot of other types of customers as well. We have trading firms that provide liquidity on the platform. Uh, as I mentioned, many of these I know from, from previous experience in the trading world. We have hedge funds, there are family offices, there are uh, buy-side institutions coming into the mix. And we see a lot of registered investment advisors also looking into crypto and finding out ways to service their customers through our platform. So, so before we go into the institutional side, um, I guess I have a question and, you know, we started covering crypto a couple of years ago as, as the, you know, fervor started, you know, bubbling up and then we backed off a little bit because it was clear that it was going to take some more time to become a really wide held um, consumer asset, at least. Um, what will it take in your estimation to make crypto like a, a more, more, I guess, easier to, for the end consumer to own and trade? I think there's a lot of things to unpack in that. I think for the, for the end customer, there are, still sort of an unclear regulatory environment, and it's something we've been working very hard on with our regulators um, through the Virtual Commodity Association that we're trying to develop to provide regulatory clarity and safety, especially in the U.S. for crypto and ultimately for a crypto consumer or investor. Uh, retail customers also are creatures of habit, and so ease of use, traditional channels are really important to them. So for some, it might mean using the app on their phone, for some, it might mean they need traditional retail brokers to get into the mix. And, and those are sort of um, something that we've been um, spending a lot of time thinking about, about how we service that universe. And for others, it might be they really just want the ETF, and that's sort of the, the easy way for them to get into and understand crypto. So I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all answer, but we're all moving in the right direction to get them access to crypto. Well, I guess, is there still a lot of concern security-wise uh, at the retail level? I don't know there's a lot of concern. I think Gemini in particular, and, and others have followed our lead on this, has done a lot to assuage their concerns about security of their assets. One of the biggest things we launched was insurance on our hot wallet. So the connected part of the storage of, of crypto, so that the you know online version of the, the storage for crypto, the immediately accessible assets that are held in storage are fully insured in our hot wallet. So for our retail customers, they can be assured that they don't have to, to worry or think about a threat of losing assets if their assets are stored on Gemini. Interesting. Okay, so, so if we can sort of pivot to the, the B2B side of, of your business, the custody and clearing, um, who, who are the clients there and, and what are they looking for um, in, in working with crypto as an asset class? Yeah, cold storage custody is a very different game than, than the exchange business. And it's really a very separate business for Gemini uh, under our trust company. So our, our trust company covers both the exchange business and the cold storage custody business, which is really unique in the crypto space to have both operating as a New York State trust. But the, the cold storage business is really different because it caters to uh, buy-side investors, institutions, hedge funds, family offices, and, and large holders of crypto. For, for most retail customers, they can be satisfied very well with the exchange wallets that exist today. Mm. So for those customers, they are seeking a, a different level of asset protection. protection. They typically have very large size holdings. 
um, compared to your average retail customer. And they need much more of a white glove service as well as um, additional services for reporting, uh, for controls on who can access their funds, the chain of command on who can approve withdrawals, uh, two-factor and biometrics, um, and a lot of other bells and whistles that go along with securing those assets at an institutional level. Interesting. And what does the sales cycle look like um, on the cold storage side? Cold storage has a much longer sales cycle than the exchange business. Because typically here, you're not only dealing with a feature set that the business leads want and and things on the feature set that are really important that we hear from our customers are securing the assets and making sure they're completely offline, there's redundancy there, you know, are are all the protections that they need. But, But the business folks are obviously very keen on um, access to those assets and how long will it take when they do want to trade. So we've been been very responsive to our customers' needs and we now offer things like immediate access to trade your assets that are still in cold because as I mentioned, we offer the we have the exchange as well as the cold storage custodian under our belt. So you can actually engage on an exchange transaction on an immediate basis with your assets in cold or even an OTC transaction because we offer the ability to clear and settle trades with third parties as part of our platform. So that, that's something that sort of um, you know, adds the sales cycle, but the sales cycle is really also driven because once people sort of get their short list on who they're looking at, or they wanna add a custodian, it really comes down to a lot of due diligence for um, these firms. And, they, and depending on the size of their firm and depending on their, their internal security teams, it can be somewhat short and sometimes very, very extensive. Um, you know, one example is we recently announced a partnership with State Street, and that was something that we worked for nearly two years on a due diligence process with them for them to fully understand our security process, because that's really what it is at the end of the day. Everything else you can sort of, you know, work around in terms of feature set, you can build it out, you can scope it out, but it's the core the core security that comes down to where people are really making decisions. And, and State Street's a, a great example of a really long process, but ultimately turned into a, a really great announcement. That's awesome. Um, just, I'm sorry to harp on this point, but uh, I'm just thinking about the, the clients and their sales cycle, um, their buying cycle. Um, I, what's your estimation, I guess, of the skill set level um, on their side? It, this is like a, it's like new for everybody, right? Do they have the people in, in-house who like really understand the nuances of this stuff? Or, or is this like they're building it as they go? It really depends. And, and we service, you know, small hedge funds and, and, and very large funds as well. So it really depends on that individual organization, the talent that they have in-house. Are they, again, are they hiring people with this expertise? Are they trying to cultivate it internally? Sometimes at larger institutions, they're trying to cultivate it internally or the person in charge isn't necessarily the expert in crypto. So there's a lot of education internally as well as education that we provide to our customers on what it means. We, we recently, um, when we relaunched our, our crypto uh, um, our cold storage offering in September, we put out a white paper that was really meant to be informational and help people understand the questions they should be asking of any cold storage custodian, not just Gemini. And, and that's a lot of the education is figuring out what people should be asking, how the, the different vendors compare, what are their offerings, what are their feature sets, and making good decisions for the long-term health of their business. Are those the questions they should be asking? What are some of the other questions they should be asking? They should be really trying to understand the governance. It's, it, that's a really a big part. So there's there's the physical 
security that goes along with securing assets, the, the grade of the, the, the hardware or the HSMs that mm-hmm. they're securing on, the, the, the tier of the data center that they're in. But a lot of it comes down to the actual process and the governance of withdrawal, the approval and review cycle, what sort of goes into um, an approval and making sure you know, that your addresses um, are, are forced to be whitelisted if you offer any sort of biometrics or controls on who can approve those. And for some of the custodians that offer really short withdrawal procedures, what prevents someone for, from engaging in any sort of you know, attack on a particular office or set of offices that would prevent someone from actually giving the approvals or the chain of approvals um, under duress? And, and those are some of the bigger issues that people face in this world where everything really is um, you know, unable to be retracted if, if there's an error in a withdrawal. So interesting. I mean, all these things I've never actually really thought through. Um, that's why I'm not in your business. Um, are, are, do you feel like as a whole, things are getting more buttoned up in, in crypto with licensing and regulatory? Clearly from the security side, it sounds that's, that's the case. Absolutely. I've, I've been at Gemini a year and a half now, and it's really been amazing to watch the progress in terms of the, the security and the regulation in the markets today. There's still ways to go, and, and everyone at least in our business, is very supportive of regulatory clarity, moving this industry forward in, a, in the, the right way. We think there's a huge opportunity for crypto in the institutional market. We think there's a huge opportunity to, to better the lives of individuals across the globe in ways like payment and banking the unbanked. And, and we're not going to get there by skirting regulation. We think it's really prudent to work with our regulators and help them understand how we run our business, how we manage KYC, how we protect against um, fraud, money laundering, and all sort of the malfeasance that goes on. Um, and, and we're really you know, forward thinking when it comes to this. We have people at our company that have built our procedures from JP Morgan and Bridgewater. So for us, we're leaning on the best practices that exist in traditional finance, but bringing them to crypto and trying to open up crypto to a much wider audience by doing so. That's interesting. I have to assume that there's also a level of education that occurs um, between you guys, the industry, and, and the regulators as well. Is that the case? That's, that's very true. One of the things that, that we did early in our days here was we obtained a trust company license, as I mentioned, for the exchange and the custodian, but that was at a time where the bit license didn't exist. And so Gemini actually did a tremendous amount of education for our, our primary regulator, which is the New York Department of Financial Services that issues our trust, um, just in terms of what crypto is and the nuances to it. And, and like any regulator, there's turnover and, and you try to do your best to make sure that they are informed about um, the industry at large, as well as your own individual business. Do, do you see, um, Janine, longer term that there'll be some type of convergence between like crypto exchanges and, and other type of digital exchanges? Or, or, is, or is there a, a level of, um, I guess, depth that's required at, at, at the crypto exchanges that that's, I guess, is, is there something preventing, I guess, the, the merger between those two technologies? It's an interesting question, and I think having a markets background and a very long career in the markets, there's always a convergence of exchanges, and, and so that, that sort of in the very long term has always been the case for any type of market. You see securities exchanges, opening futures markets, looking to get into fixed income. Some of that's driven by regulation. Some of it's driven by market opportunity. Some of it's driven by customer demand and efficiency. Um, you know, for, for many non-crypto exchanges, scalability is really important. It's very expensive and complicated to run matching engines, especially to the strict standards of federal regulators, especially in the United States. 
And so crypto as an evolving asset class still has a long way to go to figure out where it fits in the world. I uniquely believe crypto is a, a differentiated asset amongst all the other assets and fits into any type of allocation model, but it will depend on which way the regulators move, which ways customers ask us to be, and what opportunities there are in the market for uh, traditional exchanges to get into crypto over time. We've seen the New York Stock Exchange and the CME move into crypto in a traditional sense with their futures product, uh, now launching options on futures. It'll be really interesting to see if other exchanges follow suit uh, and, and if there's links and, and for, for spot markets to get um, linked up on a, on a basis with those exchanges or, or how we evolve over time. But I think it'll be a really fun, I'm, I'm a student of market structure, so I'm, I'm really into this to, to see how this pans out over the next few years. That's awesome. One of the themes that we have in terms of convergence, at least at, at Tearsheet or our publication level, is this idea of banking itself being sort of unbundled. This is where fintech came in and kind of did a lot of the, the individual um, tasks of banks better and faster or maybe cooler. Um, but what we're seeing now is like the, these, some of these early stage companies now start to rebundle and, and, and to bring in, say, investing services. Are you seeing any demand from, from sort of upstarts? Um, that are that maybe in sort of an adjacent industry like banking or something like that, looking to get into crypto and and maybe partnering with you guys to to I guess introduce your app to their to their audience. We're open to all types of partnerships, and we do maintain a wide dialogue with a variety of companies because I think as this space evolves, people look to Gemini as a leader, as a highly regulated partner, and so we're we're really exploring a lot of options with with respect to that. Okay. Um, and I guess lastly, um, I'm interested to hear about sort of where the company's headed in 2020, 2021, like from a product perspective, what, do you, what are your biggest priorities? What are you guys working on th this year? We've got a, a big roadmap for this year. <laughs> um, some of the more public things we've talked about are our expansion plans, which is a, definitely a, a strength and uh, a, a big initiative for Gemini to expand to around the globe to service customers that need our services as well as our strength in the marketplace. Uh, and we continue to evolve the trading platform. We continue to evolve the front ends that our customers use. We, you know, one of the things we did last year and we continue to innovate on is an active trader platform that we launched to really cater towards a more pro tail type of customer that has a lot more experience in trading, has a lot more need for new and different types of order types. Um, and so that's something we continue to innovate on as our customers um, evolve and, and grow in their sophistication in crypto. Janine, thanks for joining us today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Thank you for having me.